Good day, friends. This is Reiko Zek. You're listening to Jesus in the Center One Year Bible Podcast. Today is day number 40. Wow, 40 is a big number. It's more than 10% of the way through the year. We see Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, Noah and, and Moses. So, hey, we, we have made it like the saints of old, like these crazy people in the Bible. We are reading the Bible up to day number 40. Got a long ways to go, but look how far we've come. Today we're going to look at Exodus 29 and 30, Matthew 26. It's heavy. There's a lot of blood in these readings today, but it is blood that gives life. All right, so in Exodus, we, we've we seen how God told Moses that, all right, uh, I'm going to dwell with you, and so I will do that in the tent of meeting. And he, he told all about the tabernacle or tent of meeting and Yesterday we saw all the garments that it was necessary for Aaron and all the priests to wear so that they would be adorned in beauty and, and holiness. And and now we see what uh, you know Aaron and his sons, here you go, we're going to put you into place. He's going to be ordained, which literally means fill your hand, which is kind of a cool way to think of ordination. We all have our hands full of many different vocations. It's pretty cool. Here, Aaron and his sons will be priests, priests to serve God. And God told Moses, all right, this is how you're going to ordain them. Um, among other details, we won't get into all of it if you read it. A lot of different things here, but we see that there is, you're going to get ready. You're going to take the grain offering. You're going to take a bull and two rams. And this is how you get these guys ready. You're going to wash them, wash the priests. You're going to clothe Aaron. You're going to anoint him, which is the word, uh, in, in Hebrew, Mashiach, you're going to Messiah him, which is where we get the word christen or Christ. And then you're going to clothe all the priests. And this is how this is how you will ordain a priest forever. So think of, of our own selves. We may not be ordained as priests, especially in Levitical priests, but we've been washed and clothed and anointed in, in our Christ. So here for for Aaron they would take the bull, they would lay hands on the bull. So kind of the opposite of uh, ordination, fill the hand. Here they take those hands and they put them on the bull and they lay their hands on it. And then they, they kill it in this in the open area where the altar is in this court of the tent of meeting. And they they take some of its blood and they put it on the horns of the altar to cleanse this this altar so that it's not only them beginning their ministry it's the ministry itself beginning god is making a way to cover the sins of the people which we see at the end of the chapter so there's a bull and then there's a ram and there's actually two rams one is you know i was kind of thinking about this one is a sin offering and it will be burned outside of the tent and and part of it too also um talks about how some of the um some of the organs will be burned right there in the altar. What is it? Let me see. Uh, the organs, like all the fat uh, that covers the entrail, uh, it covers the entrails, the long lobe of the liver, the two kidneys with the fat. It's like, okay, well, it's enough, it's enough. It's just too many details. But one thing I, I read about this is that, that pagan priests would use these things, these organs, these specific organs, and they would use them for divination to try to figure out the mystery of the gods and the will of the gods. And here Moses tells, you know, in this ordination process, burn it up, 
burn it up. You are not going to know God's will in that mysterious way. I'm just going to tell you my will. I'm going to dwell with you. All right, so there's that sin offering, and that is the, that is, that's the first ram. And that ram is, is offered to cover the sins of Aaron and all the priests when they're ordained. That's kind of like the uh, the negative. It's kind of like the, the taking away the, the bad stuff. And then the other ram is sort of like giving them the good stuff. And we think of, again, this is Jesus in the center. So we think of, of the sacrifice of Jesus, how it both takes away the sin of the world and then our sin. And then it covers us with his own righteousness. So the other ram, part of it, part of its blood would be a a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Think of, I know this is countercultural. You haven't experienced this, except I know a lot of you guys out there, you love to grill. It smells good. You Half the reason you like it is like, I'm going to go stand outside. I don't care how cold it is. I'm going to drink a beer and I'm going to grill this meat. It just smells good. I'm going to bring it in. I'm going to be the man. Well, that same pleasing smell of barbecue that's kind of what a burnt offering was and it it showed that that God was pleased with this that he provided for them anyway the second ram it's sort of the positive for the priest it it, you take a little bit of the blood and you put it on your right earlobe on your right thumb and your right big toe and again sound sounds kind of random doesn't it does as I was thinking about this and, and read about it it seems like it's it is preparing them to hear right? To hear God, to do God's work, that's the, the blood on the thumb, and then to walk on in a holy way. Lifestyle also on a holy ground. So there's blood given to the, the ear, the thumb, and the big toe. Something to ponder uh, for us as well. All this applies to us as well, I would, suppo- I would suppose. All right, well, we'll move on. But just to, as a kind of thing to notice here is that some of these some of these offerings are burned up or they're taken out, uh, but some of them are given to the priests to eat, uh, and that's kind of the way it would always go. It was for the priests, but it says an outsider shall not eat of them. Right? It's not for the non-priest or the non-priest family. Uh, this food, uh, part of it would be provided, uh, for, you know, in perpet. How was? How can I say this? In per. I can't say it perpetuity. Yeah, I said it. (laughs) You say it. It's not that easy. Perpetuity. Like this is how it's going to go in the future is that the priests will be given a portion of what the people give, right? And then other times we see that all the stuff the priests are given, they also make a tithe of or a uh, an offering of that. So anyway, same thing that pastors do today. All right. I love the part at the end uh, of chapter 29 And this is where we really see the heart of God. Um, We see that there will be a a morning and evening sacrifice of a lamb. And it's going to be called a regular burnt offering. By the way, we'll talk more about all these different offerings when we get to the book of Leviticus. Suffice it to say for now that God is making a way to dwell with his people. God is holy and he's making a way for unholy people to be in his presence God's heart is to be with his people. Look at verse 43. There, he says, at this tent of meeting, I will, no, 42. There I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. Yes, it will be sanctified by these offerings. But as we read in the book of Hebrews that these are all just a symbol or a sign of the sacrifice to come. 
here it says it'll be sanctified by his glory. And God says, I will consecrate the tent, the tent of meeting and the altar. Uh, I will consecrate the priests. And then he says in verse 45, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I'm the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Right, so in all of these details, we forget that God's will is that he would dwell with his people, be with them, and and just um, show, just pour out his love, and, and you know, so on. We see this fulfilled, obviously, in Christ, who has come to literally dwell with us. All right, so after all of these these explanations about um, the the altars, the altar, the ark, uh, the lamp, the 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 tent, the the walls that go around it, the the garments of the priests, and then the priests being ordained and all that. After all of that, we get to this place that talks about the altar of incense, and it's really a table to burn incense. And we might think, well, why is this listed last? I think it's because what is incense? Incense is, you know, smoke. You burn it and it goes up. It smells really good. We don't really use it these days except, you know, maybe uh, if it, yeah, some people use it. All right. So in this time it was used as a symbol or along with the prayers of the people. Here would be only the prayers of the priest because it would be in the holy place. Only the priest could be there. But it went along with the prayers of the people who are right outside as they were making uh, a burnt offering of the lamb on a daily basis, or if it's a festival, they would offer other animals as well. In the New Testament, we see that incense is, it's called the prayers of the saints. And it just as smoke goes up to heaven and the Lord um, hears it or smells the incense in, in a beautiful way, that's what it, our prayers are. The Lord loves to hear our prayers. And all of that comes not first, it comes last. After all that God has done to say that I will dwell with you, then we respond in prayer. And he gives us uh, not only the, the what to say, but the, the means to say it by his Holy Spirit. So we can talk about that another time. But in the New Testament, Revelation 5, 8 and 8, 3 both says that uh, incense, the bowl of incense going up to heaven is like the prayers of the saints. Let's flip over to Matthew chapter 26. Here in Matthew 26, there is way more than we can get to. I'm going to just focus on the Lord's Supper itself. This is the institution of the Lord's Supper. I'm just going to read it. Jesus says, or this is what Matthew writes, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my kingdom, or in my Father's kingdom. Right, so that's what Matthew tells us. And, you know, obviously this, in the next couple minutes with this podcast, I'm not going to change the Christian world. But many Christians, especially since the Reformation, not, not the Lutherans, not the Catholics, but since then, um, other Christians more Reformed, Calvinist, at that time Anabaptist, uh, and now Evangelical, they would say that what Jesus is saying here is symbolic. And I can understand that because that's what I I was taught when I became a Christian and it made sense to me. 
one man I respect is John MacArthur. He's a, a Bible teacher. I don't agree with much of what he says. I understand. I, I appreciate his heart for the scriptures and for the Lord and disagree mightily with some things like this passage. He says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says that when Jesus says, this is my body, he can't, uh, obviously he can't be serious. He's not speaking literally because he's standing right in front of them. He's holding bread. And so obviously this is symbolic of, of his death that is coming. My point is this, on this night, this night of Passover, uh, the time when they're eating the lamb that was sacrificed, that they had earlier sacrificed, and we don't have the details of that, it was just a given, that's what all the pilgrims did. When they're eating this Passover lamb and, and, and the bread that goes along with it, of course, at, on that night, Jesus is not literally the bread. On that night, of course, Jesus is not literally the wine in the cup. No, what he's doing is he is preparing his disciples for that which is to come. Just like in the Old Testament, we have the covenant between, this is, I'm thinking about Exodus 19.20 and so on. We have this the covenant that God is making with the people. God tells them all about what he's going to do, what, they, what he expects of them. And then afterwards, the covenant is ratified. How is it ratified? By eating a meal. So yeah, on this night, Jesus, on this, what we call the Last Supper, it's not yet the Lord's Supper. It won't be the Lord's Supper until, uh, until he dies. Why do we know that? Because it says this is, the new, this is the blood of the covenant or the blood of the new covenant. We could also translate that. This is my blood of the New Testament. A testament is, think of your will, your last will and testament. It doesn't go into effect until you die. That's, again, the author of Hebrews says this. It doesn't start until you die. Jesus isn't dead yet. And so Jesus, of course, when this covenant has not taken effect, the covenant is the new covenant, which includes the forgiveness of sins. Just four things real quick why we can believe that, not this night, but after Jesus' death, and after he's risen from the dead, and after his disciples gather in the power of the Holy Spirit with his own words, how can we believe that what we are eating is actually the Lord's body and blood? Well, there's a few things. Number one is, well, how about this? God's power. Can God do miracles? Can the risen Jesus do things that are unfathomable? Yeah. Uh, He who said, let there be light, he can also pass through doors. He has also ascended to heaven. It says in Ephesians 1 that after his ascension, he fills all things. Now, can we understand that? No. Is it beyond our reason? Yes. Well, is creation beyond our reason? Yeah, I think it is. So can we have something like this that we don't understand, but that we're told? Can we believe creation? Most of you, many of you do. In the same, If you can believe creation, you can believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God, which is not a place, it's a, it is a power. He who reigns can do what he says. So number one, first thing is the power of his words. Second thing is, um, as I has already mentioned, that the context of this, Jesus is not speaking symbolically. He's putting into effect his last will and testament. Uh, the disciples also say in another context, I think it's John, Oh, you're no longer talking symbolically. Now we, now you're just talking plainly. And that is on this night. He is being as clear as possible. Some people say, well, this is symbolic. This is my body. Well, 
those people can't answer what part of that is symbolic. What is it symbolizing? I don't think. So anyway, I think that Jesus' context, he is setting up this new covenant and he's being as clear as possible. Third thing is, um, just like in the in the Old Testament, when we see these works of God and these covenants, there is uh, there's an actual eating of the sacrifice. We saw that even today with the priests would eat some of the sacrifice. We saw that with the Passover. And again, this is Passover night that they're eating. Uh, they the, the Jews would sacrifice the lamb and then they would eat of the lamb. That whole, I believe, leads up to the Lord's Supper. We eat the Lamb of God. Again, we don't understand it all, but this is what we're told. Take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my, my blood of the new covenant. And then the fourth thing, this the way that the apostles interpreted this, I will, and I'll focus here on the Apostle Paul, we know from his letters to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and chapter 11. He spends a lot of time on this. He says that when... We participate in the, by eating the bread and participate in drinking the cup, which is symbol for what's in the cup. When he says those things, he says that we participate in the body and blood of Christ. He doesn't say we just participate in the bread and participate in the cup. We participate in the body and blood of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this, that whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. He doesn't say he'll be guilty concerning the bread or the cup. He says he will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. St. Paul assumes that the Christians know that what they're eating and drinking is not just bread and wine. It is also the body and the blood. Now, just to to back up and might, might as well make some more enemies, is that our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters agree with the Lutheran teaching that what you consume is the body and blood of Christ. And that's what the church has taught since the, the very first days of the church. We do disagree with them, however, they think that the body and blood is no longer bread and wine. Paul, in this passage, 1 Corinthians 11, seems to think otherwise. So, take that as you will. The real thing, though, that I have an issue with, and with, with the Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, is that what they view the Mass as. Is it the work of the priest, or is it the work of the high priest, Jesus Christ, who's, who's died once for all, whose sins cover all sins, and that there is no longer need for a sacrifice? That's where we disagree. Our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters would say that the priest, ordained by God, makes a new sacrifice, or re-sacrifices Jesus Christ, and we would say, no, he's sacrificed once for all. And as we receive the Lord's Supper, as we take and eat for the forgiveness of sins, as Jesus said, then we receive the benefits of that once for all sacrifice. All right, well, keep thinking, keep praying. Go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.